Hey everyone, it's Krista Bontrager and I'm your tour guide this year as we go through the Bible as part of the Route 66 campaign for Grace Church of Glendora. This is the Points of Interest podcast where we preview this week's reading and get you ready to get into the Word of God. Are you ready? Here we go. Well, it winds from Genesis to today. More than 4,000 years all the way. Well, we're continuing our journey through the book of Ezekiel. This week, we'll be starting in chapter 31. We'll be finishing out the book in chapter 48. And then starting the book of Daniel, we're reading the first three chapters of the book of Daniel. When we pick it up this week in chapter 31, we're actually starting in the middle of a series of oracles against Egypt. Some prophetic declarations about the future downfall of Egypt that started back in chapter 29. And they go with 29, 30, 31, and all the way through chapter 32. So it's quite an extensive section there condemning Egypt. And like the king of Tyre last week, and so also in chapter 32, zeroes in on the leader of Egypt and has a lament for Pharaoh. Then when we get to chapter 33, we come to the final section of the book of Ezekiel. It's chapters 33 through 48. And this is a series of oracles of hope and consolation for Judah. And Ezekiel provides a number of visions and prophecies that are intended to tell Israel that even though they are in exile and even though they are receiving punishment for their sins, that there is a hope for them in the future. They will not be wiped out as a people. They will be preserved. They will be restored to the land. And the last several chapters of Ezekiel even talk about the temple being restored. The first point of interest that I want to stop and take a look at is chapter 34. This whole passage is a word of hope to Judah that focuses on using the imagery of the shepherd, kind of echoing the kingship of David and Yahweh announcing the failure of, of past shepherds and that he himself is going to gather up the scattered sheep and then he will put David, a shepherd king, on the throne at a future point in time. Now this whole passage is reminiscent of Jesus' words in John chapter 10. And if you want to turn there, you can see there in verses 1 through about verse 18, where Jesus applies the analogy of being the great shepherd to himself. And he even talks about the watchman who opens the gate. And that was a theme in uh, chapter 33 of Ezekiel's role in Israel as the watchman. And Jesus is the fulfillment of the greatest shepherd king that ever lived. And he is the one who not only protects the sheep, but he's even so willing 
to die for the sake of his sheep. He goes even beyond what normal shepherds would have been expected to do into the realm of being willing to lay down his own life for the sake of his flock. Now this raises a big question that relates to this entire section of Ezekiel. When we talk about this picture of the shepherd king here in Ezekiel 34, the question immediately arises is, was this prophecy fulfilled completely by Jesus in John chapter 10 and in Jesus's first coming? Or is there a future prophetic element that is to come? Because there's parts of the prophecy, and we're going to see this throughout the final chapters of Ezekiel, that there's aspects of Ezekiel's prophecy that seem like they have already been fulfilled in Jesus. But then there's other parts of it that kind of make you wonder, hmm, I'm not sure that this part of the prophecy has been fulfilled. For example, in chapter 34, starting in verse 25, it talks about how God will make a covenant of peace with his people. Well, that could be a covenant of peace that Jesus made, appeasing the wrath of God on the cross. But then it goes on to say that people will be secure in their land. Well, the question is, is when has Israel ever been secure in their land? And has this prophecy been fulfilled? It says in verse 28, They will no longer be plundered by the nations, nor will wild animals devour them. They will live in safety, and no one will make them afraid. So it's really unclear as to what this prophecy is entailing. Has it been completely filled in Jesus? Well, I think we can say that in some aspects, yes, it has. But in other aspects, it's a little bit more sketchy and we might need to leave that as an open-ended question as something that might happen in the future. When we get to chapter 36, we see this theme of, of the regathering of God's people once again revisited. Starting in verse 24, it says, For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back to your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all the idols. I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep all of my laws. Here we have in very close proximity in the context, not only a returning and a, a regathering to the land, but also a description of the new covenant. So then the question is, is what's the ordering of events? The new covenant has already been inaugurated. And so was it also true that the regathering of Israel has already happened under the return of Zerubbabel and others that returned to the land? Is that what it's talking about in verse 24? Or is there another regathering that God wanted his people to look for in the future? It's just very unclear of how this time is telescoping, you know, whether these are two separate time periods that the prophet just couldn't see that there was a large gap between the two or whether this regathering to the land has already happened 
and the new covenant has been inaugurated and has come. When we get to chapter 37, God commands Ezekiel to preach or prophesy to a valley of dry bones. God's already asked Ezekiel on previous occasions to prophesy to other inanimate objects, such as mountains and, and forests back in chapter 20. Well, now he's going to prophesy to li- lifeless bones. And they're brought to life by Yahweh's word and spirit. We see in verses 1 to 14. So that Israel again is one nation in the land under this Davidic king. And and that there's a renewal of Yahweh's presence from among them. And we see that in verses 15 to 28. And yet once again we're confronted with the question of When is this happening? Has this already happened? Who is this Davidic king? Is this completely fulfilled in Jesus? Or is this talking about a future reign of Jesus on the earth? So as we go through this series of restorations, we had restoring of of God's role as a shepherd of Israel. We've had a, a... restoring of of God's people to the land we've had a restoring of of God's honor in Israel as the ones who who will defend them we've had a restoring of of God's people and and his covenant they're they're resurrected in they're restored in their spirit we're going to continue that theme now as we go through this section of Ezekiel where Israel's restoration will be complete when they have been restored to the ability of being able to conquer their enemies. That's symbolically represented here by Israel's defeat of Gog, of Magog, this distant land in the north. And the point here in trying not to get wrapped up in the discussion about, well, who are, who are these nations and let's try to identify them. The, the big picture point here is that once again, Israel will rely on Yahweh to defend them. They won't be turning to Egypt or Edom or, or the king of Tyre to defend their honor. They will turn to God to defend their honor. And they will have that restoration of knowing that they are secure in their land because God will defend them from their enemies. But once again, this is all sort of predicated on the question of, okay, they're in the land. When is this happening? Has it been fulfilled? It doesn't seem like you could make the case that Israel has ever been secure in the land, even from the time of Zerubbabel and the return to the land, that they've been secure from their enemies. Rather, they've always been an occupied country. The questions remain whether they're secure to the degree that we see being described here at the end of the book of Ezekiel. The final restoration that we have is the restoration of God's presence among his people and in the land itself. God gives Ezekiel this elaborate vision of of a temple that is rebuilt and it's different than Solomon's temple. It has different dimensions and different rooms and different aspects to it. And basically there's two views on this section. And one is that this is a future temple. This is not Herod's temple. It's not Zerubbabel's temple. This is a future temple for a future time that has yet to be fulfilled. The second view is that this has been fulfilled in Jesus. 
Now, the argument that it's been fulfilled in Jesus, I would say there's a couple of different arguments. One is that God's presence comes back into this temple, and this is the place where God will dwell. And we know that Jesus is that temple, and that the body of Christ is God's presence on earth. So some people have tried to make the argument that this temple is like a symbolic foreshadowing of the church. On the other hand, other people have argued that this is a future temple and that the Jews will rebuild the temple, they will reinstate the priesthood and reinstate the sacrificial system. Now, the downside of that argument, I think, is that the book of Hebrews makes it pretty clear that Jesus is the once for all sacrifice. And so to have a, a God-ordained way where there's another way to get forgiveness of sins. You can either believe in Jesus as your Messiah and his death on the cross, or you can go to this earthly temple and make some sacrifices. In my opinion, there's some pretty significant theological problems with that because basically it creates two plans of salvation and two ways to access God. And I'm not sure that that's consistent with the overarching theme of scripture. So those are kind of the, the tensions in this whole section of Ezekiel. But as you're going through it, just to think of the big picture ideas of what are the restorations that are happening here. Remember the historical context. This is a passage of hope and consolation, like we said at the beginning, that Israel is in exile and they need to have hope for their future as a people. And so we're reading about these restorations in chapters 33 to 48. The book of Ezekiel is a significant part of God's story as it tells the final failure of the people of God as it was put together in the first covenants. But it also looks forward to the inauguration of the new covenant that will include a true shepherd, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and a law that is written on our hearts. And it pushes forward the story that we have been telling in this series of podcasts all year long that started out in Genesis 3.15, that God has put a plan of redemption together for his people. And even though Israel as his people has failed in their covenant obligations, now the prophets are transitioning us and moving us forward to look for someone who will be able to fulfill those covenant obligations perfectly, who will be the perfect king. He will be the perfect sacrifice. He will be the perfect priest. He will be the perfect judge. He will be perfect in every way that Israel fell short. And the picture that the prophets are painting for us is not only just a picture of judgment, although it is that, it's also a picture of a hope for the Messiah that was foretold way back in Genesis 3.15. Well, that's it for the book of Ezekiel. We're leaving Ezekiel behind now. We'll be transitioning into the book of Daniel. And I just want to offer a few comments about Daniel as you're only just going to be getting in the first few chapters this week. Now, Daniel was a young man when he was taken to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. 
Many scholars think that he was probably around 17 years old. He was a young Jewish man who was taken against his will and carried off to serve in Babylon, to serve the gods of Babylon. He was basically part of the the treasures that the Babylonians took. They didn't just take the gold. They also took the young intellectuals with them to serve the king. And what I find so intriguing about young Daniel is that here he is, he's been ripped away from his family, his parents, his land, the temple, everything he's ever known, everything he's held sacred, and he's plopped right in the middle of this situation. Basically, everything is against him and against his worldview. His parents must have been amazing in their ability to educate this young man because he's in the middle of this situation and his worldview remains intact. And he not only just survives the situation, but he becomes an agent of transformation within a pagan culture and go on to have a long career as a wise man in the court of the king, several kings, and be able to retain his distinctives as a devout Jew. Also notice that one of the great themes of this early section of Daniel is the kind of the constant face-off. It's sort of a, a perpetual Mount Carmel moment where, remember on the Mount Carmel, you had Elijah versus the prophets of Baal. Well, here in this situation in Daniel, you've got Yahweh versus the gods of Babylon. And there's several situations that come up and it's like, whose God is going to prevail? Whose God is the one that imparts knowledge and, and true wisdom and gives insight into dreams and it is a face-off between world views next week we'll finish out the book of daniel and continue on down the road into the minor prophets i really want to encourage you to continue to set aside just 10 to, to 20 minutes a day in god's word if you get behind that's okay just skip ahead you know, maybe just start at Daniel. That's something a little bit easier. We're going to continue to push each other on and encourage each other. I'm here with you. All the pastoral team is here with you. Let's all just continue to move in the same direction, even with the busyness of the fall season. I look forward to continuing the conversation with you next week, and we'll see you then. That's all for now. God bless. Shechem, Colosseum, and Jerusalem City is by the pretty sea. Mount Nebo, Sidon, or Jericho. And the accessory, and don't forget, go got that Dawson's Derby. The flames and agony won't yield. Get hit to this time, it's here. When you make that holy scripture trip.